Okay, we're still in Ephesians and building a case. Paul is building a case here for what he's about to say uh, later on. And, um, you know, it's, it's rough going in the sense that it's slow right now. And it's defining words. I never thought that I would have to take so much time to give definitions of words and so on. Until I, then I came across a commentary on Ephesians, and I think he had like 200 definitions just from the book of Ephesians and his commentary. So I thought, well, I'm not so bad then. He can do it. I can do a couple anyway. But they seem so necessary to getting a proper understanding of what Paul is trying to tell us here. And hopefully we'll gain a fuller understanding maybe of what, what's taking place here. Let's, by way of review, just read some verses here just so we can catch up to where we are. In verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now, of course, in Greek, that sentence continues right on for several more verses, but we're going to stop right there because we can't, I couldn't handle that. I couldn't handle the verse, uh, uh, I mean, uh, a... a uh, sentence that long all at one time. I have to take it off in bits and pieces and chew on it for a little bit and pray over certain words. And I was just asking the Lord this morning, you know, help me to, I want to know this phrase here and how this fits here and give us an, give me an understanding of just what all these things mean. And the Lord is gracious in these things. And I think uh, the verses that Jerry read this morning about the deep things of God, that God has indeed meant for us to know the deep things, the hard, the difficult things. Even though Peter agreed, some things Paul wrote, they're hard to understand, but they're there for our learning and our understanding. And so we're going we're gonna to try that this morning and see what we can do with it. Now, we've looked in previously up to this point, we've seen that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, and those blessings are in the heavenlies in verse 3. And then in verse 4, he chose us in him, and we found that to be a foundational statement that God's choosing of us was when we were already found in him, that is, in Christ. So he's speaking about believers. 
and God looking at us as being in Christ chose us before he ever laid down the foundation of the world. And that, that phrase in, the, in our King James Version where it says, uh, before the foundation of the world, it has that word kata. And you remember from your preposition chart, kata means down. So he's talking about before he ever laid it down, just like we would speak about laying down the foundation of a building ourselves. Before God ever laid down the foundation of all creation, God had determined and chosen us in Christ. He made the determination that he would choose those who were in Christ, in his son, in him. And that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, I skipped over, I didn't deal with that those two words in love last week. And there was a reason for that and we're going to cover that yet this morning uh, in a minute. In verse 6 here or 5 rather here, Paul speaks of God's purpose in choosing us. He chose us in him, but what was his purpose? You see that in verse 5, according to the good pleasure of his will. That word is really better understood as purpose. Or his, some translate it, his kindly intent. What was Paul's answering? What was God doing in choosing us in his son? Well, first thing he says there is he, at least in our English version, it says he predestinated us. That's the first thing we have to deal with. A misleading term or misleading translation at the very best. When you think of predestinated or predestined, you think of the word destiny Harris is thinking about destin. <laughs> Sunshine. But this is destined with the idea of it is ordained, or I don't even want to use that word, but it's it's set, God has set in motion that this is the way it's going to happen. It's it's your destiny. But that's not what this word means. As a matter of fact, it's really a very rare word. It's a rare word in in Scripture. It's a rare word in secular Greek. It's a rare word in classical Greek. All that is to say, it isn't used very much. And to come up with a clear, precise meaning is not as easy as you might think it would be. Uh, I was reading uh, one of the earlier uh, uses of this word was uh, by a guy who was um, selling a piece of property. Of course, this would be in a, in a class. This was came from classical Greek. He was selling a piece of property, and the guy he was selling it to, um, and I, I didn't write this down here, by the way, so I'm just kind of doing it from memory here. But the idea was um, they had gone to court. 
Now you're talking classic, excuse me, classical Greek goes like four, five, six, seven hundred years before Christ. So you're talking a long time back. And just like today, they went to court over a piece of property. And guess what he was they were going to court over? He wanted more money. And what he said there was uh, using a, a, the classical Greek form of this very word. Now, you remember that in classical Greek, over the centuries, there was a change, just like there was in English, from Old English to what, modern English that we speak today. Uh, it changed. And so this old form here, but meaning the same thing, the translator translated this way, that he was laying claim to 2,000 drachma. It, and it drachma, of course, in Greek is in the plural, and I don't know how to say it, so I'm just saying drachma, 2,000 drachma. That's the Greek coins. He was, in other words, he was suing him to get more money. But the point of it is, he laid claim. That's the way he translated it. Now, if we look more at the uh, literal translation of it, it, it's pros or pro. It's got the S dropped off, so it's pro horizo. Or horizo, or horizo, if you think of it that way, it's where we get our English word horizon. So, It's talking about something that has boundaries or limits to it. So it's just like we were standing on a a point somewhere, and we were looking around us, all around, and we looked at the horizon. And that was as far as you could see. There was a limit to what you could lay your eyes upon, and you couldn't see any farther. And... It, the the point of that then is that when it came to God's pre-horizo or pro-horizo, seeing it before, he looked beforehand and looked ahead to this. He he looked beyond the horizon. He was able to see in the future what we couldn't see before the foundation of the world. He marked us out. So another, another way to look at it or another way they translate it is to mark it out because of the horizon. So we are marked out. So let's just take a look at it again. Having marked us out unto the adoption of sons. Of course, I know most of our English translations say children, but it's the, it's the Greek word, weasthesia, which means literally and truly sons in every sense of the word. It's not the word for daughters. It's not the word for children, which means it could be girls and guys, but it's sons. And it's a compound word, which also has the word of placing, to place as sons. And so God, Paul is telling us, has marked us out 
to be placed as sons. And then the next phrase says, by Jesus Christ. Now, the word by is the word Greek word dia, which again, if you look at our preposition chart, you'll see an arrow going right through the circle because dia means through. And you might wonder, well, does it make any really big difference here? Well, I think it does because it's the only place in this whole letter where Paul has this expression, through Jesus Christ. It is through what Christ has accomplished for you and I in his death and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension, it is through what he has accomplished through these things that he is placing us as sons. Now, how can we be placed as sons? Well, Scripture speaks of the son placing in several different ways. Number one, the nation of Israel was placed as a son, God's son. God's son whom he birthed out of Egypt. Then you have certain places here in the New Testament, which we won't take the time to look up, but uh, I think you're well aware of most of these, where it speaks of us as being sons just because we are in Christ. But then you also have the placing of sons, which has to do with that which is yet future. It is yet future as to the coming age, which is the coming kingdom of Christ, as well as out beyond that. And we're going to see that here in just in the next verse or so. So I'm trying to give us definitions here so that we can pull all of this together in verses 5 and 6 and grab a sense of what Paul is trying to tell us that God the Father has purposed in his will to do with those saints in Ephesus that he's writing to, and of course by application then to all of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and are placed in him. And so he goes on then to say, then we have been predestinated or we have literally then been marked out or predetermined, or it was decided beforehand that we would be placed as God's sons. We would have sonship, as it were, through God's own son, Jesus Christ. Now, We talked about that little word by, being through. Why would it say through Jesus Christ? I think the answer lies in that Jesus is God's son by nature. But God makes us his sons or places us as his sons through faith in his own son. 
It's an act of God that he does on our behalf. And he says there, through Jesus Christ, into himself. And we talked about that Greek word there, ice. E-I-S, but pronounced ice, into himself. Now, that, that's just telling us a grand scheme of God all in just a couple of, a few words there. The fulfillment of God's purpose and making us sons that ultimately we might be found in himself. Now, and he says, to the good pleasure of his will. And we said that word pleasure means, literally, it's the purpose, the good purpose of his will, or the kindly intent of his will. So God has established long ago these spiritual blessings, which are found in the heavenlies, is to be fulfilled in that he has chosen us. We are to be holy and without blame or blameless. Blameless as much as a sacrificial lamb can be blameless. And in love, he marked us out beforehand. Now, I happen to be one of those that believe, and maybe you've come across this before, that the words in love fit better if they go in verse 5. Why would I say that then? Well, because if you leave the words in love in verse 4, that means they would modify that we should be, referring to our character, as opposed to having it in verse 5, which has in love, modifying himself or God. In other words, I'm simply saying that it is God's love that is the basis and foundation for him marking us out. It is not our love in becoming holy and without blame. It's him that did it. And all the focus of this whole this whole passage has to do with the focus on God, what he did and his love in doing this and the ultimate outcome and the ultimate purpose. And we'll notice then in verse 6 he says to the praise of the glory of his grace. Now, you're going to find that expression three times. To the praise of the glory of his grace, or a little variation of that. If you look down in verse 12, you'll see that it says that we should be to the praise of his glory. And then if you'll look over at verse 14, which I'm looking over because I had to turn my page. He says, it says there, unto the praise of of his glory. And it appears 
that all three members of the Trinity are being spoken of in this phrase. The first one, dealing with God the Father. The second one, dealing with God the Son. And the third one, with God the Spirit. Now, I'm saying all that ahead of time because we're not going to get there today, but you can see that it's coming, and you'll be prepared for it. But this first one, to the praise of his glory, is the activity of God the Father. What he has determined beforehand, in ages past, before he ever laid down the foundation of the world, determined according to his good purpose that these things would be to the praise of his glory. Now, you may have a a translation that says his glorious grace, and I think that's a mistake. Glorious is not an adjective here. Glory is a noun. It is to the glory of of God's grace. In other words, it's pointing out and focusing on the goodness of God's grace in doing what he's doing in marking us out and choosing us to be sons. Sons of God. To have sonship, to be placed as sons and be able to experience all that goes along and and, and, there's, and this would require a whole other series of messages to talk about what, what all encompasses being a son and what is attendant to that. But if you want a starting point, just look at the phrase, the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God, and what God has given him as his son, and then compare that with us. And the blessings, you remember we said, are attendant to and go along with those who are in Christ, meaning we are completely and totally identified with Christ in him. So that everything that Christ is and has, we are identified with everything that he is and has. It's just that by nature... He's the son, and we are placed as sons. And so there was a distinct difference. Now, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now, the word accepted Is the same, it's not the, the same word, but it's the same form of the word grace that you find earlier in this verse. And so I think a clearer understanding of this verse is Paul is trying to tell us then to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath uh, made us objects of grace, or he has favored us or graced us in the beloved, or maybe more literally, in the beloved one, in Christ.
or the literal, the literal translation version says, in the one having been loved. Of course, that one being the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think I came across anybody that thought the beloved there was anyone other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and by the way, you might remember over in chapter 2 and verse 6, we referred to this a week or so ago when we pointed out there that it says concerning us when we were in verse 5, we were dead in sins and he hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that, that's a a purpose statement, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. Now, it's, you got almost the same phraseology. It's the exceeding riches of his grace, his kindness, or we saw earlier, it was good pleasure, is kindly intent, and it's all through Jesus Christ. So this grace, this grand scheme, this great purpose of God that Paul is laying out for us here is that it all has to do with focusing, excuse me, focusing upon the grace of God. God's favor, God's goodness towards his creation to the glory of his grace. Now, glory can be looked at in a multifaceted way as well because there is glory, which is honor and praise and so on, that goes to the one whom Paul is speaking of here, God. But it also has to do with everything that God has revealed to us in Scripture that he is doing to bring about this glory, to bring about this praise, to bring about all of creation so that all of the focus in the end, when God's purpose is fulfilled, all the praise, all the glory goes back to God, God the Father. And it's God the Father that's being spoken of here to the praise of the glory of his grace, God's grace, God the Father's, excuse me, God the Father's grace. Well, um, I said I would keep it short. I think I will today. I think I shall just stop right there. And just let us say that what we have covered so far in this, these few verses in this epistle, Paul is trying to set forth a picture for us in, in, in an amazing few verses 
of this whole scheme of God from beginning to end. It's interesting then that in verse 5, I have to look it up. No, I done forgot which was. I passed over it. The word accepted in verse 6 favored us or graced us. You remember we said it, or objects of his grace is an aorist participle. In verse 5, the word predestinated, the word translated predestinated, which I think is better meaning appointed or ordained or determined that it should be, is also an aorist participle. And oftentimes when we think about an aorist, we tend to think about, you know, being, I have this tendency myself to think of it as a point in time. But as I spoke a, a, a few, Sunday or two ago, or maybe three, I don't remember now. When you think about an aorist participle, it can be something that's a point in time. So if you had somebody say, you know, he entered into the building, uh, it could be an aorist tense, and that means at a point in time, he entered into the, to the building. But here, we're talking about God's plan beginning to end. So you can think of an aorist participle as being a big circle. It takes in a whole broad scheme of time. And we looked at that verse over in Hebrews chapter 4 where an aorist is used at a, of a point in time, but we said it was more like a snapshot that it, it's it, or remember the assembly where it says they in Acts where it says they kept silent while Paul and Barnabas were speaking, but they kept silent for the you know the aorist participle covered the whole time that Paul and Barnabas were speaking from the beginning unto the end. It covered the whole thing, and so he's speaking the same way here. What he's talking about is God's appointment. God's placing of sons, God's grace, his favor upon you and I who are in Christ covers the whole span of God's purpose, his good and kindly intent in fulfilling his will to bring about from his creation praise and glory because of his grace, his goodness to us, the favor that he shows to us. And I think for me, that simply magnifies and makes huge and almost incomprehensible what it means to have God favor me 
or place his grace upon me. Except to say that it's all a part of fulfilling his plan. And I'm just a little part of it. But he gives me grace. He gives you grace. So that when his plan and purpose is complete, all of creation will just point to God the Father and praise him for the glory of his grace. I I can't do it any more justice than that. I lack the words to be able to express the magnitude of the glory of his grace. I guess Paul did too, because that's all he gave us right there. What more could you say? And be, but it's because of that glory of his grace, he made us accepted or he graced us in the beloved one, in Jesus. That's where it all takes place. So the question then is, is are you in him? Do you know him? That's where it has to be. Because you cannot know his grace any other way. Let's pray. Father, we want to say thank you. And we want to praise you for the goodness of your grace. For that which you have given to us in Christ. And to realize through all your purpose of the ages and your plan, which you have set forth here before us in this letter that you wrote to your faithful saints in Ephesus, the grand purpose of God in magnifying your own glory to the only one, the only one who deserves it. I pray, Father, that as we live out our individual lives in Christ, that we would do so in such a way that you would be well-pleased with us. And in that coming day, when our Lord Jesus returns, that you would receive us and accept us in that manner. For it's in his name we pray today. Amen.